Welcome to the Human Anthology second episode. My name is Amy and I'll be the host for today's discussion. If you had missed our first episode, the Human Anthology podcast is a project started by the Human Library team of the Human Book Collection. The purpose of our project is to capture an authentic slice in an individual's life through com conversation. Today, we have a special guest, Shelley Rotenberg, a McMaster alumni who is here to talk about her experience as a transracial Chinese adoptee. So, hi, Shelley. Thank you for joining me today. So what have you been up to lately? Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak and share my story. Um, I've been doing part-time research, and I've also been job searching a bit. And um, I listened to the first episode of this podcast earlier today. Yeah. How did you enjoy it? It was cool. It was interesting hearing about how long ago five years was because yeah. it didn't seem that long ago. Yeah, when they we talked about those songs, it was quite surprising to me, even though it seemed like just yesterday when those songs were popular. Mm. Yeah, anyway, so let's get started. So Shelly here is here today to talk about her story. So Shelly, whenever you're ready, I would love to hear about your story. Yeah, sure. So I was adopted when I was eight months old from China. Uh, my mom, she's a single parent, she's Jewish, and she felt compelled to adopt me. She had watched a documentary that she saw on television called The Dying Rooms, uh, which is a very hard watch, so definitely trigger warning if anybody does intend to look it up and maybe give it a watch. Um, anyway, so that's when she became aware of the problem um, that the one-child policy created with a lot of baby girls um, being abandoned because there was like a cultural preference for sons. Um, so there was like a demand, I guess, for adoption. And so she, you know, became aware of that issue. And then she decided she never thought she would do something like that, like travel to China on her own, like adopt a baby. Um, but yeah, she felt that that was something in her heart that she wanted to do. So she, uh, you know, with an or like an agency and organization, she went to China and adopted me as a baby. Um, and, you know, they passed on the only information. Well, they didn't really know any information about me. So they gave me a name uh, and then they gave me like an estimated birthday. Um, and then my mom had an opportunity to change that. So she legally made my um, name that they gave me my middle name. So my middle name is my Chinese name. Um, and then she named me Shelly. And then she just kept the birthday they had picked because I don't know how else you're supposed to go about picking um, a birthday. Uh, it, I guess they thought it was fairly accurate just based on my size and like other health stuff. Uh, but she said that I was very small when she adopted me. So she thinks maybe there's a chance that I'm a little bit younger than I am, but not by much, probably only like a few months. Um, so yeah, and then when I was about four or five, uh, she asked if I wanted a sister. So I, I, I got very excited. I, she told me and then I, I was like, oh, someone who looks like me. Um, so I was very excited about the idea and I actually went back with my mom uh, to adopt my younger sister. She's from a different part of China um, and she was a little bit older. Not I think she was like 13 months. Um, but yeah, so I really I think I realized when I like got older how much I appreciated and valued that my mom did adopt and gave me a younger sibling. It was interesting because in the other podcast episode, you guys were talking about siblings, but also just especially because I'm a transracial adoptee, meaning that I was adopted, you know, by my mom, who's not Asian. So I think it's important for me 
to have like someone else in the family who looks like me, even though I didn't really realize it. Um, I just nice to have like a racial mirror. Um, and my sister and I are very close and we got along and we still get along now. Um, and we didn't really talk about adoption growing up. Um, sometimes I bring it up now because I've become more involved in the adoption community. Um, but I've noticed that she's just not as interested in exploring maybe that part of her identity or just she chooses not to have that be as like a big part of who she is and how she presents herself. Um, but I think it was, it's still helpful just for me to yeah have someone else who, who maybe has had the same experiences as me. Um, even though I think all adoptees, we have similar experiences, but we also still have different experiences depending on even when you're within the same family, but especially when you grow up in like different countries or even regionally, just different cities um, and the area you grew up in. So the, uh, the place I grew up in was predominantly white. Uh, so besides maybe occasionally hanging out with other Chinese adoptees, I didn't really connect that much with any other Asians who were not adopted. So, and because like growing up in my family and then school and town, uh, I guess that all led me to feel very white on the inside uh, because I wasn't very connected to my culture. I think my mom tried her best. She did put me in Mandarin classes, though I didn't really take up with that. I, did, I viewed it more as like a social thing, but I don't think I was really learning the language and I also had nowhere to practice it. So she didn't force me to continue with that. It was like we tried and I didn't really stick. Um, and then like with other families who had adopted from China, we would sometimes celebrate Chinese New Year, but I don't think I really understood the meaning of it and like the cultural significance. I just knew that you get red envelopes. There was like fireworks. I think that's, and like red was an important color. And that's really the, the only things I got out of celebrating it as a child. Um, and then in terms of like food, we would, I liked Chinese food, but I only knew like, I think the westernized version of Chinese food. So we would go to like the Mandarin restaurant. Um, and it, again, I, it's not very authentic. And I'm, I'm still exploring my culture even now, like through food and sometimes through language, though I've kind of for now put it on pause trying to learn Mandarin. Um, so it's definitely been interesting trying to both connect with my culture and kind of figure out how I identify again with like not growing up within an Asian household or in a community where I have access to other Asians or I guess even like mentors, people to look up to. Um, so I didn't really understand like what it meant to be Asian or what it meant to be Chinese. I just knew that meant I was born in China and that I have black hair. And then besides that, I don't think I really knew anything else. So I feel like maybe much later I started to realize what it means. And that kind of came about when I realized other people don't see me the same as the way I feel inside. So when people would maybe mention something about race or ethnicity and maybe like I didn't really understand uh, stereotypes, uh, like Asian stereotypes or racism. So I feel like at first it, it didn't really click and it maybe took me later than maybe the average person to understand like the connection between some things that people would say and, and versus how it's related to like my appearance. Um, so I remember in high school, we were talking about like if people look smart and someone told me, oh yeah, I think you do look smart. Uh, but I think it's because you wear glasses and they're trying to like make it not sound like it was race related. But I didn't realize that in high school that like Asians were stereotypically seen as like being smart. So like I didn't understand why she was trying to like say it nicely 
because I, I was like, oh, that's a good thing if you're saying I'm smart. Like, that's a very positive, like, as a compliment. Um, yeah, so then, oh, sorry. <laughs> Did you have a question? No, no, no. I was just saying, like, I think definitely, like, those stereotypes are there. And I think, like, having to grow up, like, a bit different than how people see you might have been really challenging. I was wondering if, like, maybe... Um, like you've had experience with it now so what have you really done to like adapt to that situation I think so now that I kind of under have a better understanding sometimes I will say I'm adopted because if someone says like oh your parents are probably really strict or you know they'll say certain things like assuming that I have Asian parents or stuff like that or they'll ask like I had someone ask oh what's your Chinese name and even though I guess I technically have one I didn't realize my middle name was my Chinese name. I don't know why I didn't make that connection, but in my head, I thought I don't have a Chinese name. But then I realized like I do, but I guess it doesn't mean the same thing to me because I, I didn't even know how to pronounce it properly until a few years ago. One of my friends told me and then I realized I was pronouncing it wrong. And then I realized I was getting the characters wrong because I read the documents wrong and I was looking at the wrong section. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it like it, it is meaningful to me, but it's it's like a more complicated relationship I guess um but so sometimes I will tell people like if they make certain assumptions uh oh like I'm adopted so that they know because I don't it depends my relationship to them like if it's someone I don't know very well I might not disclose that information but if it is someone that like I feel a certain level of trust with or if I think they are asking or saying something but not um like they don't have like a malicious intent like it's sometimes if they ask questions like and they're genuinely curious like I don't mind opening up and sharing about my story but some people if it's a very like spontaneous interaction and like never going to see them again you know I might not say that and I might just let them assume something or like not correct them Uh, so it really depends on who it is and I guess like how comfortable I am with them in the moment I was wondering you had mentioned that like you had met other um, adoptees recently and like you learned about their experiences and kind of their personal levels of belonging in the environment that they're in I was kind of wondering like what did you take from them and like what was it like just having like this group of people that are like similar in that mm-hmm. sense yeah so I had lost touch with most of the Chinese adoptees that I would hang out with as a kid I feel like people grow up and maybe people move to different spots you go to different schools and whatever so I from when I was a young kid I was connected and then I kind of lost that connection with the adoptee community when I was like older teenage years and even like throughout most of university I wasn't really connected with any adoptees but quarantine time has definitely given me a chance to become more involved and I've discovered like the community online Um, and so that's been really nice because I feel like in Canada there's not too many organizations or groups or resources, at least that I've been able to find, that are geared towards adoptees, specifically transracial Asian adoptees. So a lot of it has been me tapping into resources and organizations that are based in the States. Um, so I've connected, but then I've connected with adoptees all over the world, which has been really cool. And it's nice to, you know, for a while, like you, you don't talk like I haven't talked about my experiences and then when you do talk to other adoptees and you realize you're not the only one who's kind of had that um, you know identity crisis moment or you know the ones who have like issues with trying to connect with their culture or not feeling Asian enough or that they need to do more 
um, in terms of like wanting to search for their birth parents or just, there's just so many issues. Um, and it's not that I, I, I think I was just more private with all of these experiences related to my adoption with my friends who are not adopted. Um, but then as I've become comfortable talking about it with adoptees, I felt like I can open up to people in my life um, who maybe never really knew that side of me just because I didn't feel like it was very important to share or I didn't even fully understand it myself. So definitely talking with other um, people who shared similar experiences has helped me to kind of uh, describe, I guess, what I've uh, been thinking and my feelings and just better articulate myself and my thoughts when it comes to these types of topics. So that's been very valuable. And I really appreciate like the discussions and being able to learn from other people. And then they'll sometimes share resources like events or things that are online being hosted. So there's been a lot of like different Zoom call events. And like otherwise I wouldn't have been able to attend because a lot of them are in the States if they were would have been in person. Um, so I've been able to kind of learn from some people who've like, you know, I've been able to listen in on some talks of some people who have led adoptee organizations or have done like a research and adoption. And so just it feels like I've kind of entered this whole big space and there's so much to learn and it's it's really exciting and it sometimes feels overwhelming because I'm like, oh my God, there's so much stuff out there and I didn't realize and it's great. Um, but yeah, but it's definitely been very positive. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like quite interesting. Like I didn't know that there were like that many events that kind of were focused or geared towards like the certain demographic that you guys are. And mm -hmm. I was wondering, like, do you think your experience as a transracial adoptee, like other than culturally and like racially, do you think it's shaped you into, how do you think it has shaped you into the person that you are today? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's shaped me um, mostly in terms of identity mm -hmm. because I feel like now I'm starting to very much, I guess, like find myself. <laughs> Um, and I, I know everyone kind of goes through that process, especially, especially when you're like adolescent, young adults, that is kind of the time for self-exploration. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, there was a part of myself that I wasn't like acknowledging because I was always an adoptee, but I would usually say I'm adopted. Um, and I acknowledged adoption as like a single event that happened to me. And then now realizing that, you know, it still affects me in different ways, sometimes very like small ways, um, but things that I wasn't just, I just wasn't aware of before. And so it's kind of, it's helped me to realize more about myself, like in connecting with other adoptees. Um, and I feel like now I'm trying to work towards having a more secure identity um, and just acknowledging that part of how affects my life and how other people see me how I want to present myself um and I think it's it's yeah helped me become just in general more comfortable in my own skin even separate from like adoptee identity but through connecting with the adoptee community I've learned more about you know like I said what it means to be Asian and what it means to be Chinese and like different issues relating to the Chinese and Asian communities because again I've been like disconnected so I especially online, like in following certain pages and, you know, people who are advocates for certain issues, I've learned a lot more about things that affect, you know, other people who are like me, and then I might not have directly experienced some of these issues, but I feel a bit more connected in that way now. 
So I understand that your sister was also adopted. So do you think like she's also taking this path that you are like trying to figure out a bit more about her, how her adoption experience has really shaped her and is she trying to like get herself out there and meeting new adoptees as well? Um, at this point in her life, she's not. Um, I came about this, I think one of the turning points is in my fourth year of my undergrad at McMaster. I decided to do my thesis on the lived experiences of Chinese adoptees in Canada. And and then I talked about with other adoptees, like belongingness, identity, connection to your birth country. And so my sister was one of the first people I interviewed as a participant. Um, and then... I mean, and that was like one of the first times we really talked, like sat down and specifically talked about our experiences as adoptees. But especially because this was a little while ago now, I realized that she definitely had not thought about it as much. So her answers were much simpler and not as maybe deep as I wanted, as hoping she would get into. Um, so, yeah, she and then since then, like, even though I bring up topics here and there, I definitely think that she's not as involved in the adoptee community right now. And I mean, she might not be in the future, which is totally fine, because I feel like some people um, might not want to identify with that I, part of their identity as much. Um, so, yeah, so her and I are actually a little bit like different. I'm not sure if it's an age thing, because if she's she's younger and, you know, at her age, I also was not really thinking about any of this stuff. So I think it's just really depends on, you know, where people are at in their life and in this journey of like kind of figuring out who you are and sometimes like people attach maybe more to other identities you know so it doesn't mean that this is the forefront of who I am that like when I meet someone like again I'm not going to necessarily right away tell them hi like I'm adopted um but just acknowledging that for a while for so long like I didn't consider it a part of my identity so now I feel like I'm now bringing it back into the picture It's really interesting how like you guys grew up similarly maybe it is an age difference but how like maybe you have found more of like an inclination towards learning more about like your culture I think that's really interesting um so where you are now like a lot has happened you've grown up like very comfortable like not comfortably but like very happily I would say Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. so what is a message that you would like to tell your past self? Maybe like after you've been adopted already, like mm-hmm. just kind of adapting to the situation that you're in now. Um, yeah, so that's definitely correct that I've had a very positive, I guess, uh, childhood and like growing up experience. Um, and I think one advice is just, I mean, I did struggle for a while trying to figure out where I belonged and, you know, feeling like I was very much in between, like I wasn't really Asian enough. But then again, like I was obviously Asian. So in terms of my friends who were when I was younger, most of them were white. Again, there was still some differences there where I didn't feel like I fit in there. Um, And then my mom being Jewish when I went to McMaster, part of me at first wanted to join like Asian clubs. And then I realized I didn't kind of bond over a lot of the things that they had in common in terms of like their shared cultural like experiences growing up, things like that. So I did end up gravitating and joining a Jewish sorority. And that was like great. And I met some friends that I'm still very close with now. But then also even there, I was like, oh, I don't quite fit in there because I didn't grow up very religiously. Um some of the things they were bonding over is like experiences I didn't have. So 
I think just trying to tell my younger self that like it is okay that you don't neatly fit into like one category or box that you can be like you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that and that that's totally okay um because I think initially I felt like well I have to figure out what I am and who I want to be and what I want to get involved in and identify as just to make it easier but I think part of that pressure to feel like I had to fit into one um, part or identify with you know one part of myself more versus the other I feel like that pressure kind of came like externally from other people because there is that assumption of like oh you're Asian and then like oh you're in a Jewish story like you're you know people I feel like just again this relates to everybody I feel like people really much like to categorize you and just make it easy to figure out who you are but I mean my story does complicate things a bit but I'm I think now I've accepted that, you know, it's, it's okay to be different. I very much like wanted to fit in when I was younger and, you know, whatever that meant to fit in, it's like, Oh, if, if people to fit in means you like this stuff, like maybe I should like this stuff or do these things. So I think just as I've grown up, I've kind of accepted that it's like, yeah, it's totally okay to be different and to have a different kind of story that maybe goes against like I don't know a normal narrative or what you'd expect like even like our fa- my family is like a different looking family and so I feel like you know sometimes people would like ask if my mom's my mom or like the you know my sister and I are both Asian and sometimes people do say we look alike but we, we don't actually really look alike so it's like I don't know if they're yeah. just saying that because they can't differentiate like between Asians um, but then so people will ask, like, oh, is she your real sister? And uh, which she is my real sister because because she's not my biological sister. But I mean, we have grown up together and we are very close. So to ask if she's my real sister, it's like suggesting as if she's like my fake sister mm-hmm. or something yeah. or the same if they were to ask, like, oh, is your mom your real mom? So it's like the answer to those questions are always yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are my real family. Um um, but I do consider like my birth family in a way my family, but it's, it's hard to like call someone family when you don't know who they are. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very interesting, I guess, relationship with like those kinds of things. And it's like, you know, I don't intend to like stand out and be different. And so it's like, you know, when you're out like with your family or something, it will on my own, like you can't obviously tell that I'm adopted because, you know, everyone looks so different. There's no single look to, you know, someone who is adopted. But then when I'm with my mom and my sister, then maybe it's a bit more obvious. So it's not as like invisible. So then it's kind of like, well, we're just like a normal family. <laughs> like growing up, I did feel very normal within my family. And then again, like as you kind of go out and experience the world more and interact with other people then people start like asking questions and stuff and that's when I realized oh wait like I'm different my family looks different and then it's kind of like well I don't want to be different because I want to fit in and belong and but so now I've come more back to like you know what it's totally fine and I'm much more okay with it now yeah I think you brought up a really interesting point a bit earlier on about like being Asian enough quote-unquote and I think like that's really, especially not even in your situation, but even in like, for me, I grew up here in Canada and like, like somewhat my parents have tried to keep their, like their Chinese culture at home, but like, you know, having friends in Canada and going to school in Canada and just like mm-hmm. the environment in Canada, I grew up very westernized and like, 
even like when I go back to China to visit family, it's like a stark contrast. And like, apparently, all my relatives can tell that like I'm not from China. And I think like、oh. having this kind of, I feel like I even myself, even though I grew up with my Chinese family, I'm not even like Chinese enough. You know, compared、oh, to like、yeah. my family back in China, and I think like I don't know, just having that comparison. But then again, like what what would be Chinese enough? You know,、mm-hmm. like what would be a certain like cultural standard that people have? Yeah, yeah. I think it's tough because I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, like I would think, oh, like if someone were to try to. Quantify it would be based on I guess like you know certain aspects of culture like like language and food and maybe knowing like the traditions and following certain customs、mm-hmm. and maybe like some people would say if you've spent enough time like in China、um, things like that and like who, you know your family and them being able to pass on、um, knowledge maybe、mm-hmm. like how much you know about the history all these things but I feel like Like you said, like there's so many people that don't fit into that category or、mm-hmm. aren't able to check off all these boxes, that it definitely doesn't make sense to try to gatekeep <laughs> within one community to say you're not like enough of this to belong or you shouldn't, you know, speak out or identify as much because you haven't had all these experiences. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've also heard the same with people who are mixed. Like if they're half Asian,、mm-hmm. that sometimes they've also experienced the in between and not feeling enough. So I've realized that it, yeah, that some of the things I have experienced definitely do overlap、mm-hmm. um, with other people、um, with other identities.、Um, so in a way, that's interesting because I'm like, oh, maybe that's something that kind of connects us. Like、yeah. <laughs> that connects me to other Asians、yeah. is the whole not feeling Asian <laughs> enough. Isn't like I'm not alone in that, even like separate from adoption. Yeah, no, I definitely. I feel like it probably does overlap a lot, and there are probably like other scenarios that we're forgetting about. But I remember, like, I do have a couple mixed friends, and I do feel like they sometimes feel like they're apart from their like what whatever other culture it is, other than you know, like there's always an imbalance between the two cultures that they experience, and I think,、mm-hmm. yeah. I know it's very tricky to get it to balance, though. I'd say. Yeah, and I think one topic that was interesting when I was interviewing other adoptees for my research、mm-hmm. is a lot of times they would use the like they would say Canadian and they would say white kind of interchangeably, whereas their view of being like too white that was them being like very Canadian and like maybe Westernized, and so it's interesting that. People like still think the default of Canadian is to be white because Canadian is quite multicultural. Well, especially in like the bigger cities, at least.、Mm-hmm. And so realizing like that I'm both Chinese and Canadian, and those aren't like exclusive categories.、Mm-hmm. Like yes, Chinese relates more to ethnicity and race, and then Canadian represents like more culture, the way I was brought up, and like nationality and citizenship and stuff. Um, but there is definitely a lot of overlap, so it's not like one will、um, cancel out the other. Yeah, it's a very、really、good point.
Yeah. So a lot of it's very interesting with the language that people use. And I feel like I've been trying to be more mindful of the language that I use when I talk about my own experiences. Like I mentioned, I'm more often saying like, oh, I'm an adoptee. I still say I'm adopted, but I feel like I've added adoptee and I say that more commonly. Um, and just, yeah. I think people just grow up accustomed to like what they hear about like culture and like being Canadian. So I feel like maybe it's a hard habit to break when talking about it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I feel like that sounds good. Is there anything else you'd like to add about your story? Um, like what, I don't know. What I... kind of, what's your next steps about like maybe outreach or maybe like trying to get in contact with like family from before? Yeah. Mm hmm yeah, the, I think the choice to search like for birth family, it's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some adoptees will want to or won't want to, or that decision that they made at one point might change, you know, throughout the light, their life. Um, it's, I think it, it's a very like emotional thing. Um, and it can be very time consuming and overwhelming and daunting. So I, I, ideally would love to meet birth family like to be able to find them um but it's it's kind of hard sometimes I'm just like oh I'll just live my life I have a good life here I've got things to focus on I'm maybe too busy right now you know like I won't actively I'm, I'm not necessarily actively looking um but I have done 23andMe just the ancestry part um because my mom bought that for my sister and I as a Christmas gift um, so I did that in hopes that like, oh, maybe, you know, it'll be easy. Like you take the swab, you log into the website and boom, like, oh, here, we found like someone who has like very high percentage of DNA match with you. Um, and that, that didn't happen. One interesting thing is that my, since my sister and I did it together, um, it told us that we have 0.07% shared DNA. So we are from different cities and different provinces in China, but I guess technically we are extremely distant cousins, kind of, oh. even though it's a very, very small percentage of shared DNA. <laughs> but like, I assumed we did not have any shared DNA. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of cool. Um, and there's like hundreds of matches, DNA matches that have come up, but a lot of them are, again, very, very small percentages. So it's like third to like fifth cousin, which when you look on the little family tree thing they have in the website, I mean, it's not very close. Like I was hoping for like sibling or even a first cousin. I feel like that's like getting kind of close. But then I've heard not a lot of people um, use 23andMe in like uh, China. So it is much more a thing where people in the West will use it. Mm -hmm. So that could be part of the problem in that I'm searching at a place that they're not even thinking right. to look yeah. or, or be on. Um, and then I there was an organization that puts together posters. So based on which province in China you're adopted from, you can submit like your baby photo, a photo of you now, some information about, you know, the orphanage name or you know what your abandonment site was and then your the year that you were supposedly born and all anything that you know and then they put it on this group poster so that um they they distribute the posters and then i guess in someone in china if they see it and they're like oh this information matches up with someone that i am looking for then they can contact me so i've done that and it's been shared i think on some social media site in china and i think 
Um, they in the past have sometimes handed out, like they've done events where they've handed out posters. So part of me is like between 23 and me and then my little face being on this group poster. It's like, I mean, maybe there's a chance mm-hmm. that, that something can come of that. Mm-hmm. I think I do want to travel back to China one day. Um, and if I did, I've heard of other adoptees hiring like an investigator or hiring someone to make an individual poster just for them that they could put up. Or like, I would want to go back to my city. And I think the orphanage that I think they've like renovated or there was like some accident that happened where they had to rebuild or something. So I don't know if it's the exact same as when my mom, you know, got me. But um, I would definitely like to visit and maybe they have more information than what my mom was given at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be cool to find my birth family. And I think it, some people are, have asked me or I've talked about it too with other adoptees of like, oh, well, what would you want to know or like ask them? I think the main thing is to just, first of all, like see them to see, okay, do we have like um, physical traits and stuff that are similar? Because um, I, I don't have, I don't know anyone who looks like me, like, you know, genetically and stuff. So that would be interesting. But I have heard that, you know, growing up in like Canada and like I'm I'm very westernized and like I look at two. So like even if I do find birth family, like I might not look as similarly as I think just because of like how I've grown up with like, I guess, beauty standards here and just like other things. I don't know. Maybe I'm like slightly more tan than I would be if I lived <laughs> there. So there's all these things where it's like, I don't know, it'd be interesting. But I also just want to. I guess ask about their story because I mean I I don't quite know like how long I was with my birth family I just know like well I I guess around eight months um or 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 slightly less depending on the timing but um I guess just to know yeah their story because I my mom told me when I was younger like oh you you know they loved you so much that they decided to give you away for a better life kind of thing and um, that's a very nice story. I don't know if that's true <laughs> um, because I, mean, I don't think my mom knows if that's true. I think that's what she's assuming based on like the information she knew. And it could be true, but there could have also been a lot of other things that could have happened. I, I watched a documentary called One Child Nation. And it was also it's a bit quite, I guess, like heavier documentary where it talks about some of the hard truths in relation to the one child policy. Um, so sometimes I'm not even sure if I actually was abandoned because sometimes I think orphanages make up information to make it more likely for you to get adopted. So I'm, I'm not quite sure. So I think I would want to kind of, I guess, clarify information, like know more about what happened before you know, I was handed over to my mom. Um, and then just know about their story and also just their life. Like if I have siblings that live in China or if they, gave up other children so I might have siblings that have been adopted and they live in other countries or maybe like if they I don't think that's very likely that I would have a sibling who lives in Canada but that would be very interesting um but then one worry is that I wouldn't know how to speak to them so that's my motivation to learn Mandarin but I don't think I would ever become fluent enough to actually be able to speak to them um so part of me is like oh I don't know if that's very realistic I mean there's always Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. And, and with like social media and, and yeah, like things like that, I feel like we would be able to yeah. still communicate well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really hope that 
that works out for you, Shelly. Like, I understand, like, <laughs> it'll probably be quite a tough task to get done, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if you're really, like, wanting to and putting in the effort, it might, hopefully, things will work out. Yeah, so that's, we'll see how that works out. I'm, like, a little hopeful, but I'm also trying to keep my expectations very low because I know it might never happen. And there are a lot of adoptees from China. And so, yes, there's been some reunion stories, and then there's also been stories where people, I mean, some people might not want to be found or they um, might just not want to dig up the past um, or something like that. Or I don't know if, like, on their end they would feel, like, guilt or, or shame or anything. Um, but I, my motivations would be, I'd want to find family to let them know I'm okay. Um, because I mean, I, I don't know. I've never been in their situation, obviously, but I would always wonder. And so now that I'm old enough and I'm starting to wonder about them, I'm like, maybe they're wondering about me. So I feel like we might be, yeah. Like we never know, I guess. Yeah, I think just one of the biggest things, especially with transracial adoptions, specifically from China, is just there's a lot of unknown. (laughs) So I think like also part of my journey is trying to, again, accept like, accept me and my identity, but also accept the uncertainty with like my origin story of like, I don't know a lot of things that other people might know, like the birth date and like, um, medical like history and information and all that stuff so i was just curious about this this kind of odd topic but like because that like maybe your medical records aren't very like how do i say accurate i would say or Mm -hmm. like from before how has like how has how have you been able to like do things now are they taking like just new records for your for you and like trying to figure it all out again like when you first came here yeah I mean like they do like an overall health assessment test to make sure and I guess they do I don't know like and they give you like give you like shots and stuff like I have like a mark from a, a vaccine on mm. my arm which I think a lot of people I do as well, I think. okay <laughs> Because some of my friends don't have it, and I don't know. I think in Canada they stop whatever shot that is. They stopped doing it at a certain time. I don't know. I have it, and some people don't. So it's like I'm. I forget. I looked it up once where what it's uh, from. But yeah, so that's interesting that you were born in Canada and you have it too. Because I feel like a lot of friends who were born in Canada they don't have it. Really? Um, I was like, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, it was just basically like starting blank slate. I guess people maybe would know if they're predisposed to certain things like. Um, you know, sometimes like cancer might run in the family or like certain health conditions. So then people might be more proactive because they know that that runs in their family. Um, or even just like if you, it, it could, might not even be as big of like a health thing. Like I, like, I didn't know that Asians are like more likely to be lactose intolerant. I don't think I am. Um, but there's just certain things like that, even if it's not like a problem per se, like anything big, just like smaller things traits that it's like you might know and I guess I mean well I could have known that if I like researched but I just you don't know what you don't know right. <laughs> um like when I got 
red from drinking alcohol. I didn't know that was a thing. So I think my mom was concerned for me at first. And she was like, maybe you shouldn't be drinking at all if it's giving you this negative reaction. But then we realized like it's a thing. And I know that there's things out there you could take for it. But I'm like, oh, I don't even drink that much. But is it like that's something that I didn't know was connected to genetics or being Asian or like race that it's more common, you know? So it's like some of these things that it's like once I research it, I was like, oh, okay. Um, but it, there's other things I can't think of what else but there's other things I guess that people might know if their parents like had something that they might know oh that's why I have this so I guess for me it's just like oh maybe it's genetic or maybe it's not maybe it's environmental I, I don't really know <laughs> yeah yeah I think like just like as you had mentioned like having like a predisposition for like a certain like illness or disease based off your family makes things a lot easier but I'm sure like the doctors here are able to like maybe like keep things in check for you otherwise as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah just because sometimes on like medical forms they'll ask about like you know medical history but like beyond just you like they'll ask about your parents or grandparents or you know sometimes there's that section so I mean that section is just a question I don't know (laughs) just a question mark or just not applicable because it's like I don't know because once um McMaster was doing this event where it was like a I don't know I think it was like a bone marrow swab thing and so I did that at school and it was like a long form and then one of the forms was like this chart asking you to fill out like information yeah about like your family members and stuff and I mean things like that come up too I was a teaching assistant at McMaster and I've never had to do this personally at least from what I can remember when I was a student but as a teaching assistant I was like leading this activity we were talking about like ethnicity and food and culture and identity and so I was supposed to ask like my students in my tutorial to do like draw a family tree and how does like your family connect to like what kind of food you like to eat and this and that and I mean like the food I like to eat is is connected to my family but it's not connected to my ethnicity so there's like a bit of a disconnect and I'm you know, I kind of brought up questions of like, oh, I don't know if this activity is very inclusive towards adoptees. But like, I tried to expand it and word it to be more like, whoever you identify as your family and whatever culture you identify with, is there a connection between it? So there's just not as much like, black and white and making assumptions, I guess, about people's um, Mm -hmm. culture and like family dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, Yeah, I think maybe that's all that we should talk about for today. It seems like we covered (laughs) quite a lot of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you again, Shelly, for taking the time to share your story with us. And thank you to the listeners for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed getting to know more about this aspect of Shelly's life as much as I did. You can find our team on both Instagram and Facebook under the name The Human Book Collection. And we will be adding another story to your shelf in two weeks' time. So make sure to tune in. Bye. Thank you.